The New Testament reading for today is Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. The Old Testament reading is Exodus 15, 22 through 27. That will be the sermon text for today. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Exodus 15, 22 through 27. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, and for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let us go now to Exodus 15. We will read verses 22 through 27. This story here took place after Israel was led through the sea, after the Egyptians were swallowed up by the same waters, and after Israel sang that great song that Moses gave to them concerning the redemption Exodus 15:22 Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went 3 days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, "What shall we drink?" And he cried to the Lord, And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. In this sermon series, I've tried to convince you that the Exodus event, along with the wilderness wanderings that followed, and the eventual conquest of Canaan by the Hebrews, is to be viewed in a multi-dimensional way. 
One, we must view this story as historical. The book of Exodus is a historical book. It tells us about what God did for the Hebrews in the days of Moses to deliver them. It tells us about how the Lord went with his people to provide for them and to guide them in the wilderness. These things happened. That is my point. We must approach the book of Exodus as true history. Two, we must see that the person of Christ and the work of Christ were revealed ahead of time in the events of the Exodus. In other words, the redemption that the Lord accomplished for the Hebrews was a type or foretaste of the greater act of redemption that the Messiah would accomplish. The Hebrews were delivered from Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb. They passed through the waters of divine judgment and emerged safely on the other side of the sea. The Lord was present with them and he would continue to be. In fact, he would dwell in the midst of his people as he led them toward the promised land. And I'm saying that the person of Christ and the work of Christ was pictured or prefigured in an earthly way in these historical events. We are to remember that Jesus the Christ was introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was hidden for a time in Egypt and was brought out as an infant. Do you remember that little story, that little episode in the life of Christ? He was hidden in Egypt for a time and brought out as an infant. We're to make the connection here between Christ's experience and Israel's experience, just as the Lord demonstrated his power over nature and the so-called gods of Egypt, so too the Christ demonstrated his power over the same through the working of mighty deeds. Christ also passed through the waters of divine judgment, not the waters of the sea, but the waters of death. And he was brought safely through to the other side in his resurrection. And we know that Christian baptism is a picture of this among other things. After rising from the dead and after ascending, Christ gave us the Spirit. The Spirit indwells His people and is with us as we sojourn towards the promised land. And here I am simply reminding you of things that I have said before. The Exodus was not just another common event in a long succession of events in the history of the world. No, it was a special event. For in it, something of the person and work of Christ was revealed ahead of time. This truth may be observed in the Exodus story itself, but it's made especially clear by the teaching of the New Testament. The New Testament scriptures are always alluding back to the Exodus event. They are showing how these things that happened to Israel were fulfilled in Christ, brought to their fulfillment in the life of Jesus Christ and in the work that he accomplished. Three, we must see that there is a correlation between the experience of Israel in the Exodus event and the experience of all who have faith in Christ. When I say that there is a correlation I mean that in some ways, Old Covenant Israel's experience matches the experience of all who have faith in the Messiah, even to this present day. Of course, in many ways, the experience of the Hebrews who lived in the days of Moses was utterly unique. Only they were brought out of Egypt. Only they were led into the wilderness toward Sinai, etc. But at the same time, their experience established a kind of pattern, a pattern familiar to all of God's faithful. Think of it. In Christ, we too have been redeemed from bondage. In Christ, 
We too are sojourners. We live in this world, but this world is not our home. In Christ, we too will enter the promised land. Not Canaan, but the new heavens and earth, the heavenly and eternal city of Jerusalem, that city that Revelation speaks of, of which we just read. So I am saying to you that Israel's experience in the Exodus mirrors ours. Theirs was earthly, ours is spiritual. And so there is much for us to learn from these stories. I'll remind you of what Paul the Apostle wrote regarding this correlation between Israel's experience and ours. Speaking speaking of Exodus events, he wrote, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So here Paul the Apostle is writing to Christians and he's wanting them to see that these things that happened to Old Covenant Israel at the time of the Exodus, they happened... To them, really and truly, it's true history, but they happen to them as an example. And we have record of these historical events in the pages of Holy Scripture so that we might learn from them, so that we might see in them a kind of a pattern of, of, of the Christian life. Uh, even those who live now under the new covenant, who, who sojourn not in the desert, but here in this place, uh, they may learn from the experience of old covenant Israel. So let us consider our passage for today with these things in mind. Uh, We must have this multidimensional approach to, uh, to the book of Exodus. We've come now to the portion of the book of Exodus that is about Israel's sojourning in the wilderness. To sojourn is to dwell temporarily in a place that is not your home. We may refer to the Hebrew stay in Egypt as a time of sojourning. In fact, the scriptures speak this way. In Deuteronomy 10.19, we find this law given to Israel, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So yes, we are to view that entire period of time wherein Israel stayed in Egypt as a time of sojourning. They settled there for quite a long time, but it was not their home. They were in a foreign land. They were still waiting for the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham concerning a land of their own possession. They sojourned in Egypt. And after the Lord delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt, He led them, notice, not immediately into Canaan, which was the land promised to them, but into the wilderness to sojourn there for a time. In Exodus 15.22 we read, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, And they went into the wilderness of Shur. The wilderness of Shur is to the east of Egypt, in the northern part of the Sinai, and what is today northern Saudi Arabia. This wilderness is vast, it's rugged. In the days of Moses, it was very sparsely populated. And we know that from there, Israel would go south. Canaan was to the north. But the Lord led Israel to the south, to wander in the wilderness for a time. I think we need to consider this carefully. Why did the Lord do this? Why did the Lord lead Israel to the east and then to the south to wander in the wilderness for a time and not directly to Canaan? This is the first thing that I wish to draw your attention to this morning regarding our text. 
The Lord did not immediately lead His people to the promised land of Canaan, but into the wilderness. There Israel would sojourn in that thirsty land. In fact, we know that they would remain there for 40 years because of their disbelief. But even before that, it was the will of the Lord to lead them, not directly to Canaan, but into the wilderness to sojourn there. And I think we are to see that Israel went into the wilderness, not because they were lost, but because the Lord led them there in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He redeemed them from Egypt, and then He led them into the wilderness to sojourn there in that place for a time. So here, a pattern is established for us. Those who are redeemed must sojourn. Those who are redeemed must sojourn. Stated negatively, the pattern is not from redemption to immediate glory, but from redemption to sojourning to glory. Here is how old covenant Israel experienced this pattern. They were redeemed from Egypt. Then they sojourned in the wilderness for a time. And then they eventually entered into Canaan, which was the land that was promised to them. And here is how new covenant Israel experiences this pattern. We have been redeemed by the shed blood of the Messiah from the domain of darkness, bondage to sin and fear of death. The new heavens and earth is our home. Our inheritance is the heavenly city of Jerusalem, but we are not there yet, are we, brothers and sisters? We are sojourners now. We live here in this world, but we confess that this is not our home. We long for the world to come. We must view ourselves as sojourners. The pattern is this, from redemption to sojourning to glory. And I'm saying we are sojourners now. This is what Peter calls us. He writes to Christians saying, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter, speaking to the Christian church, to New Covenant Israel, says, You must remember that you are sojourners now. You are exiles now. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews speaks of our sojourning in this way when he says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I think that is a beautiful way to put this. Here, on earth, presently, we have no lasting city. We live in cities, yes, and we live in homes We even call these cities and homes home, but they are not lasting. They are not permanent. In fact, we seek the city that is to come. We live for that city, the eternal city, the eternal city of Jerusalem. So just as Israel was to be ever mindful of the fact that they were not at home while in the wilderness, but were sojourners, so too we must be ever mindful of the fact that we are not at home but our sojourners in this world, we're just passing through. And I wonder, this, does this sound strange for me to talk in this way? It might to some of you. After all, this is our hometown, isn't it? This is our hometown. After corporate worship, we will all go home. And it must have been obvious to Israel in the wilderness that they were sojourners. They knew this was not their home as they sojourned in that desert region Um, There was nothing at all permanent about their situation. But you and I live relatively settled lives, don't we? In fact, we enjoy a great deal of stability and comfort. And I am wanting you to see that there is a danger 
in these blessings. We may forget that we are sojourners. The homes we live in are not our homes. This city is not a lasting city. This world is not the world that will be for all eternity. For when Christ returns, He will make all things new. This world will be renewed, filled with the glory of God and established in glory forever and ever. And if you are in Christ, united to Him by faith, that is your home. The new heavens and new earth is your home. The heavenly Jerusalem is your city. Presently, you are a sojourner. And so I wonder, brothers and sisters, do you have the mindset of a sojourner? Do you have that mindset? Sojourners must still be concerned with the details of their day-to-day life. They must eat. They must drink. They must raise their children. They must seek to serve the Lord in the land that they find themselves living in. But the sojourner will also live with a degree of detachment from the land of their sojourning. As the sojourner goes about their business, they will be ever mindful of the fact that this is not home. This will affect their priorities. This will affect their investments, investments of time and of money. Though they may love and appreciate the land of their sojourning, their longing will be for home. And this is why Jesus spoke to sojourners, saying, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Christ was here preparing His disciples to sojourn. And He was saying to them, Yes, you will live in this world, and yes, you will need to engage in certain activities in order to live in this world. Do not neglect those things. Do not grow irresponsible, but be sure that your treasure is in the right place, Uh, not stored up here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but laid up in heaven, the new heavens and new earth, which is our eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus. Those who are redeemed must sojourn. That is the first point that I'm making And we are sojourners now. The second thing that I wish to draw your attention to is that one of the purposes of sojourning is sanctification. One of the purposes of sojourning is sanctification. Perhaps the question has already come to your mind. In fact, I think I've already stated it. Why didn't the Lord lead Israel straight to Canaan? Why did He not lead them straight to Canaan? Why the wilderness wanderings. Why did the Lord permit Israel to experience so much trouble in that desolate and dry land? And perhaps you've wondered the same thing concerning the Christian life. Why this life? Why the sufferings of this life? Why not immediate glory for the one who has faith in Christ? I think these um, thoughts come the minds of those who are advanced in years, maybe a little bit more than they come to the minds of those who are very young. When you're very young, you tend to be shielded, appropriately so, from the trials and tribulations of life. But as you live for a time in this world, you come to see that life is truly filled with trials and tribulations. Why must we experience all of this? Why not immediate glory for those who have faith in Christ Jesus? And many things could be said about this. But the truth 
that I wish to emphasize this morning is that one purpose for sojourning is sanctification. And by sanctification, I mean growth in faith and in godliness. Sanctification is that process wherein God renews us in the whole man after the image of God and enables us more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. I'm saying that one of the primary purposes for sojourning, both for Old Covenant Israel and for us, is sanctification. God sanctifies His people as they sojourn. And how does He do this? How does He sanctify His people? Uh, You will notice that it is often through testing. You know this to be true. Growth comes when we are tested. This is true of our muscles. This is true of our minds. And it is also true of our faith, our hope, and our love. Spiritual growth comes through the process of, of being tested. In verse 22, we learn that Israel went three days in the wilderness and found no water. This was no minor inconvenience. It was a serious problem. You need to put yourself there in the, in the shoes of the, the Hebrews. Uh, they probably carried water with them out of Egypt, but they were about out of it now. This great multitude would soon perish without a substantial source of water, and the people must have felt tremendous anxiety about this. It, it would be absolutely terrifying to be caught in the wilderness with no water. And in verse 23, we read, Then they came to Marah. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Marah means bitterness. So when they found this pool of water, they must have felt great relief. But as they tested the water, they found that it was bitter, meaning it was undrinkable. And so their hope was quickly turned to great despair. And we must see this as a test of faith, brothers and sisters. That's what this was for Old Covenant Israel. This was a test of faith. In fact, verse 25 says that it was. There he tested them, the verse says. What would the people do? How would they respond? Would they trust in God? Would they remember what the Lord had done for them not long before? We should remember that the Lord demonstrated His power over nature in the outpouring of the ten plagues. He turned the water of the Nile to blood. And after the plagues, He parted the water of the Red Sea. Now the Lord tested them concerning water at Marah. Would the people remember the promises of God? Would they remember His past faithfulness? Would they trust in His sovereign power? Or would they lose it when faced with the threat of thirst in the wilderness. Verse 24 tells us, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? When they grumbled against Moses, of course, they grumbled against the Lord. What shall we drink? I I take this to mean that they, they panicked. They lost it. And they began to complain against God through Moses. I want you to notice that the word grumbled appears three times in a short span in the Exodus narrative. It appears here in 1524. It will appear again in 16.2. There the people are hungry, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, the text says. And the word appears again in 17.3, where we read, But the people thirsted there for water, 
And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so you can see a theme. The Lord redeemed Israel from Egyptian bondage. He led them through the waters of the sea. They sang that marvelous song concerning the redemption that God had worked for them. But as He led them out into the wilderness place, He tested them three times over concerning water, concerning food, concerning water again. These are all tests to see if Israel would trust the Lord for continued provision. And I am saying to you that the Lord was sanctifying His people through these tests. By the way, can you think of someone else who was tested in the wilderness three times over? I can. This reminds me a lot of the experience that Christ had as He went out into the wilderness and was tested by the devil there. Uh, Christ was tested in this way. He is the true Israel of God, mind you. And how did He respond to this testing in the wilderness? We know that He handled it perfectly. He overcame the temptation. He did not grumble against God. He did not compromise in His mission, but He entrusted Himself perfectly to God for provision. But what did Israel do when they were tested? Well, they doubted and they grumbled against the Lord. And I take this to mean that most grumbled, but I trust that the faithful ones among them were sanctified as the Lord proved Himself over and over and over again to be faithful. Soon we will see that the Lord provided water from a rock and manna from heaven for Israel. And here in the text that is before us today, we learn that the Lord made the bitter waters of Marah sweet. Verse 25, And Moses cried to the Lord. Notice he cried. He did not grumble. And the Lord showed him a log, or perhaps your translation says a tree. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. You can search for a scientific explanation for this if you'd like. I don't think you're going to find one. I don't believe one is necessary. This entire Exodus story is punctuated by the miraculous works of God. And it has been common in this story for the Lord to instruct Moses to use physical items through which he works his miracles, a staff, dust thrown into the air, now a log or a tree. Here's what we know. The Lord demonstrated his power over the waters of Marah through Moses. He proved himself to be faithful once more to the people of Israel. He provided for the thirst of his people. He turned that which was bitter sweet. This he did for old covenant Israel through Moses. And I want you to see that this he has done in an even greater way for all of his elect through Christ. Christ satisfies the thirst of all who trust in him. Everyone who drank the sweetened water of Marah was thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that Christ gives will never be thirsty again. The water that Christ gives becomes in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here I am alluding to what Christ said in John 4, 13-14. And in Christ, all of the bitterness of life is turned sweet. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Even the bitterness of death is turned sweet 
for the one who is found in Christ Jesus. For Christ has removed the sting of death. For the believer, death is the gateway to glory. Brothers and sisters, I think it is imperative for Christian sojourners to remember these things as we are ourselves tested by the trials and tribulations of life. Sometimes it does feel as if we're sojourning in a dry and desolate place, doesn't it? The circumstances of life may lead us to think that there is no hope, there is no way out. But we must remember that the Lord is faithful. He has been faithful to us in the past and He will be faithful to us in the future for He has promised. He will preserve those who are His in Christ Jesus. He will bring His elect safely home between now and then. We must be full of faith. And at times it may seem as if the Lord has led us to bitter waters, that which we thought would bring satisfaction and refreshment in this life, only brings disappointment. I think we are to ask ourselves the question as we consider this story here, will we trust the Lord in our disappointments and despair? Will we believe that the Lord is able to make the bitter waters of this life sweet in Christ Jesus as He brings good from that which is evil and leads us through the waters into life eternal? Brothers and sisters, I am saying that we must maintain this perspective. Verses 25 and 26 are very important. Uh, Let me read them now, starting in the second half of verse 25. We read there, that is at Marah, The Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there He tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in His eyes, and give ear to His commands, and keep all His statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Notice a few things about this portion of the passage. One, Here we learn that the Lord sanctified His people not only through the trial of the lack of fresh water in the wilderness, but also by His Word. I'm saying that yes, He tested them through a difficult life experience, but can you see here that He also spoke to them? He spoke to them. And this is how the Lord sanctifies us. Through experiences, the trials and tribulations of life, and by His Word together. We learn to follow the Lord in this life as sojourners, as we experience the difficulties of life, and as we listen to the Word of God and learn to live in obedience to it. This is how the Lord sanctifies His people. Two, the lesson that He taught them at Mara was really quite simple. These are my words, my summary of His. If Israel would diligently listen to the voice of their Lord their God, and do that which is right in his eyes, they would be blessed. That is what he said to them. None of the diseases that the Lord put on the Egyptians would be put on them. This implies that if Israel failed to listen to God's word and to keep his commandments, they, like the Egyptians, would be cursed. Notice this principle. Obey me and be blessed. Disobey me and be cursed. We'll return to it in just a moment. Three, the Lord reveals himself to Israel here as their healer. I think that is beautiful. I am your healer, he says. The word healer can also be translated to make fresh. 
It refers to the process of being restored to health or being made fertile. When the Lord said, for I am the Lord your healer, he was saying to Israel, I am the one who has the power to make you healthy, fruitful, and prosperous as a people. So then here is the lesson that the Lord taught to Israel at Marah as he spoke to them after satisfying their thirst. I am here to bless you, to make you fruitful and prosperous as a people. But here is the condition. You must listen to my voice and keep my commandments. As you probably know, this little simple lesson would end up being central to Israel's existence under the old Mosaic covenant. This principle, obey God and be blessed in the land, disobey and be cursed, would be the core element of the covenant that God made with that nation through Moses. If Israel was to be blessed and prosperous, they needed to obey the law of God. This works principle was stated at Mara, and it would provide, and it would prove to be foundational to the whole Mosaic covenant. Now, Christians living under the new covenant who have had it ingrained in them that we are saved from our sins, not by works or through the keeping of God's law, but by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Christians who've had this ingrained to them might be troubled by the works principle that is found here. Are you following me? Do you wish to be blessed? Then obey me, God says. If you obey my voice, if you listen to my words and keep my commandments, I won't put any of these, these curses upon you that I put upon the Egyptians. You know, we, we hear this works principle. And, and for the new covenant Christian who has been ingrained with this idea that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we might be troubled by this. But listen again uh, to the conditional nature of this arrangement. It is, pres- it is certainly here. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. The arrangement is certainly conditional. It is an if-then arrangement. But pay very careful attention to what is going on here. The offer is not forgiveness of sins, nor is it life eternal in the new heavens and earth, but blessings and fruitfulness on earth. That is the offer here. If you will obey me, I will bless you. Where? Here, in the earth and in the land. It is that principle that is going to be greatly amplified under the Mosaic Covenant. And I think what I have just said here is key to understanding the works principle that is clearly present in the whole Mosaic Covenant. Was the Mosaic Covenant a covenant of works? In other words, did the blessings offered by God to Israel in that covenant depend upon the obedience of the people of Israel? We must say yes, certainly. But the blessings offered to them were earthly blessings. If Israel obeyed the Lord... They would be blessed by the Lord in the land. If they disobeyed, they would be cursed by the Lord in the land and even vomited out of the land should their disobedience continue. How then, I ask you, could an Israelite be saved from their sins from all eternity? How could an Israelite inherit blessed eternal life in the new heavens and new earth? 
The answer is this, in the same way that you and I receive it. Not by good works, not by law-keeping, for we have all violated God's law and thought, word, and deed, but only by trusting in the promises made to Adam and later to Abraham concerning the Messiah. Do not forget that those same promises were entrusted to Israel in the days of Moses too. They were not to forget those promises concerning eternal life in the Messiah through faith in Him. They were to take those promises with them too. In fact, the Messiah was was constantly held out before them uh, in that old Mosaic economy. But the old Mosaic covenant itself was a covenant of works. Do this. Live in obedience to me and be blessed. Where? In the land. Disobey me and be cursed in the land. Even vomited out. But how can the Israelite have salvation, life eternal, the forgiveness of sins, only by trusting in the promised Messiah. These promises concerning the Messiah remained. And salvation was obtained by the grace of God and through faith in the promised Messiah. But as it pertained to the blessings of earth, the nation of Israel would enjoy them only if they were obedient. And this is exactly what Paul the Apostle says so clearly in the books of Romans and Galatians Especially see Galatians chapter 3, verses 17 and following for this teaching. Though you and I do not live under this works principle that was imposed upon Israel at Marah and later expanded under the Mosaic covenant at Sinai, we may still learn from it and apply it, I think. What was Israel called to do as they sojourned in the wilderness? They were to trust the Lord and they were to obey Him. That is what they were to do. They sojourned in the wilderness after being redeemed from bondage in Egypt. They were tested there in that place. What were they to do? The message is really quite simple. Trust and obey. Trust the Lord that He will provide for you, that He will keep you, that He will lead you safely home and live in obedience to His law. I think this message is for us too, brothers and sisters. We are to trust and obey. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Christian sojourners are to trust and obey. They are to trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So simple. It is simple. It could also be very difficult for us, given our frailty. We are so prone to forget God's faithfulness. We are so prone to doubt, to panic, and to even grumble against God, as Israel did at Marah. And sometimes we struggle to obey His voice. But truly, there is abundant life found here. We are blessed in Christ when we trust Him and obey His word. As Christ said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What are we to do as sojourners in this world, as we are tested by the trials and tribulations of life? We are to trust and obey. We are to abide in Christ. We are to abide in His love. And what does it look like to abide in His love except to cling to Him as we live in obedience to His commandments? In some ways, the Christian life is very simple, even though it can be very difficult for us Again, given our frailty, may the Lord help us. Those who are redeemed must sojourn. One purpose for sojourning is sanctification. The Lord sanctifies us by His Word and by testing us through the trials of life. 
And in this way, the people of God will learn to trust Him and obey Him with ever-increasing sincerity. The final observation I wish to make from our passage today is that those who sojourn must know for certain that the Lord will bring them safely home. And I draw this principle from verse 27, which says, Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Just one little verse here. But it is very picturesque, isn't it? You can imagine this. There they were in the wilderness for three days with no water. They came to Mara, and there they were tested. The waters were bitter. The Lord made it sweet. And they went on from there. But they come to this place called Elam, where there are 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, you know, just kind of this oasis, this little, this little paradise for the people of Israel to be refreshed by. And here I am saying that if Mara signifies the trials and testings of this life, Elam seems to be paradise by contrast. There was an abundance of water there, one spring for each tribe of Israel. And there was an abundance of trees too, so that Israel might rest in the shade. After Israel was tried and tested in a dry and thirsty land, they were comforted and refreshed here at Elam. And so it will be for all who are in Christ Jesus. The Lord will bring us safely home. I see Elam as a little as a little microcosm of paradise, a little microcosm of Canaan, that land flowing with milk and honey, a little picture of the new heavens and new earth and our eternal comfort there. After the sojourning of God's people is complete, we know that Christ will return to make all things new, and all who are in Christ will be refreshed by the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, they will eat of the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let us bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for what you did for Israel in the days of Moses to redeem them from Egyptian bondage and to lead them into the wilderness places to sojourn there for a time. We thank you for the sanctification that you worked within them We thank you for the way that you did eventually lead them into the land of Canaan, just as you have promised. Father, I do pray that you would help us to see our lives according to this pattern. We thank you for the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus, the freedom that we have in him. We thank you for the sure hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Help us to store our treasures up, not here, but in the new heavens and new earth, for that is our inheritance. But especially help us now as we sojourn. God, as we are tested by the trials and tribulations of life, as we face the disappointments of life, may we see you as the Lord, our healer. May we see you as the one who is faithful. May we be constant in our trust of you, O Lord. Help us not to grumble. Help us not to lose hope. But help us to be strong in faith, O God. I pray that we would be found abiding in Christ, trusting always in Him, 
and living in obedience to you for our good and the glory of your name. Help us to sojourn well, O God, so that we might bring honor to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.